Good morning, Hillsdale. Okay, a couple things as we begin. Thing one, can I wish you Merry Christmas? Is that okay? Oh my. Um, I don't want snow. But we'll, we don't have a choice. Second thing. Oh, wait. Let me take, get ready for the second thing. Okay, over here. I've got my halls. I've got my fisherman, fisherman's friend over here. Um, my voice is not good this morning. Hasn't been good for a couple of weeks. I just want you to just, I just want to say that. I'm not hurting. I feel great. It's just, I feel like a six-cylinder engine that backfires every once in a while. So just ignore the backfiring. It's okay. And uh, what we're going to do this morning is really important. So let's just go there. In our journey through the final week of Christ, we are now at John 15. Let me tell you right up that I'm pretty sure we are not going to get to the bottom of this incredible passage in the minutes available to us today. How is that even possible? In fact, about Wednesday, early in the week, my preparation week, I'm muttering to some of the staff that I already had two, two and a half sermons available for Sunday morning. And I still had Thursday, Friday, Saturday to get ready for this. And so I have spent most of the week squishing, 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 squishing to get where we're going to be today, knowing that there's a lot we're not going to say. This is an incredible passage of of Scripture. And I would tell you what adds to the intensity is that John 15 is so otherworldly, if I can put it that way. This is something beyond what our world can know. This is, about, this is something so heavenly. See, you see, John 15 presents us with a beautiful and intimate picture of the kind of relationship that you can and should have with the God of eternity. It's not about that while, while we're here and we're going to live on earth in this, under, this re, the, the, under John 15, we recognize that the statements here are so heavenly. So, the challenge is before us. Let's proceed. Start with, I think it'd be good for me to kind of give you an introduction of John 15. Guardrail kind of thoughts. So four guardrail kind of thoughts that will help us when we get to the text. First, let's talk about the context. It's important for us to remember the who, the when, and the why Jesus spoke these words in John 15. The who. Jesus is speaking to his 11 disciples. The when. John 15 is set in the minutes before Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane, will be betrayed and arrested and taken to the cross. We are less than 24 hours from his death and burial. The why? Jesus is preparing his disciples for his death, yes, but also his departure. As we said last week, he's leaving. He's going to his father. And Jesus is preparing his followers for their new normal, in their new now. Not the then, but the now, as we said last week. In other words, a continued life on earth, doing the work of Christ under the power of the Holy Spirit. In John 15, we have a picture. The picture is a metaphor of a garden. And in that garden, 
with this metaphor, we have at least five main characters or elements. We have the gardener, God the Father. We have the true vine, Jesus. We have the branches, the disciples. We have the fruit, the gardener's expected produce. And this one is often missed, I think, but needs to be here. We have the world, those who do not know God. Another way of coming at John 15 is to point to the many key words in the passage. Now, certainly we should start at the words we just heard. The vine dresser, the vine, the branches, the fruit, the world. But then we need to add the words such as abide, keep, love, hate, and later near the end of the chapter, helper and witness. Having said that, there is a small word here that we might actually miss, but we should not miss. That word, small and descriptive, the word in. The word in comes at us at least 14 times in this passage. And we need to understand this powerful, small but powerful word if we're going to hear about the relational intimacy presented to us in John 15. More in that direction in a few moments. But let's go to a summary statement. I think it'd be helpful if we just simply said, here's what John 15 is saying to us. And I know there's a lot here, but we can also come at this in a really simple manner. So let me tell you what John 15 says. John 15 tells us, that there is a vital, life-filled relationship between the gardener, the vine, the branches that brings about the kind of fruit that the gardener expects from his work. And I'm going to summarize that summary statement with two statements this morning. And there could be more, but I'm going to give you two. I think these two are a fair representation of John 15. First, disciples of Jesus bear relationship fruit. Secondly, disciples of Jesus abide in Christ. It is these two statements that will guide our journey through John 15 today. And as I say this, I'm aware that there's many other ways that we could come at John 15. For example, we could acknowledge that John 15 comes at us about our relationship with God. And then secondly, our relationship to other believers. And then thirdly, our relationship with the world. You can see that in sections in John 15. But I think that these two statements are faithful representation of how we should handle this text. So let's go to John 15. Make sure your Bibles are open there. One of the remarkable observations we need to make about John 15 is where it actually starts. We might expect that it it would begin with the command to abide in Christ, since that's the phrase that draws us. That's what what we so easily think John 15 is, is about. And you should know that that phrase is, a foundation, is foundational in John 15. But it is the word fruit that dominates the start of John 15. And so we can say that disciples of Jesus bear fruit. Clearly, Jesus is talking to his, to his followers here. In verse 3, he says, you are already clean, which is a way for him to say that they are already in intimate relationship with him. So what Jesus does is, is key in on the fruit of the intimate relationship that he has with his disciples. And so he comes to them with this metaphor, the vine dresser, the vine the branches. And again, there's much here, but I'm going to boil it down to four what I'm calling fruit statements, starting in verse two. So statement number, fruit statement number one, 
He says that some branches are in danger. Follow this. He says that they are in danger because they are not producing fruit, so they will be taken away, taken away, taken away by the gardener. Now, verse 6 really needs to be connected to verse 2. Verse 6 is more graphic. And it is a statement that is maybe difficult for some of us to hear. Most of us want to believe that once we are, that no one who is in a relationship with Christ will ever be sent away by the Lord. And yet it is hard for us to get away from the statement that there seems to be, that it makes in the opposite direction. Now, some want to say that the branches in verse 2, look at verse 2 on the screen, that they're not really believers. But that verse doesn't see, say that those branches are indeed in the vine. Now, verse 6 might give us a little bit of relief in that direction, but don't be so quick to go in that direction. The whole point of John 15 is that those who belong to Christ will show that they belong to Christ and that they will remain in Christ. In fact, add verse 4 to verse 2 and verse 6. In fact, I'm going to go to the New International Version of John 14, verse 6, because I think that it actually gives us a true sense of verse 4. What the New NIV says is this, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Essentially, what you probably should hear here is remain in me, and then I will remain in you. We should not miss that what we have here is a command to abide, followed by conditional promise. If we keep the command, then. And in fact, if you add verse 7, if you look at verse 7, you will find that if. The point here is that abiding in Christ and remaining in Christ is the relationship expectation. It is the precious relationship, it is that precious relationship that will bring glory to God, verse 8. And will be proof that disciples actually belong to the Lord. The bottom line, John 15 calls us to prove that we are disciples of Christ by the fruit that comes out of our lives. There's a second fruit statement in verse 2, and it says this, every fruit producing branches, branch will be pruned. We might not like this statement, actually, because one would hope that if we consider ourselves faithful, fruit-bearing relationship, in a, a, a faithful, fruit-building, faithful, fruit-bearing relationship with the Lord, that our lives would be okay, sweet, uneventful. And yet, verse 2 tells us that the gardener has bigger plans than maybe we have. And even if you are a fruit-bearing because you are in Christ, verse 2 tells us that the vine dresser is still going to come at you with his garden shears and prune you so that you would bear more fruit. The promise here is that the Lord is never done with us. He has a plan to help you, if you love Jesus, be more fruitful. He, after all, is the most expert of gardeners, and he knows how to help you be more fruitful. Let me ask you, you want to be more fruitful, don't you? If you love Jesus today, you don't want to stay where you are, do you? 
You don't want to keep on uh, doing what you're doing over and over again and never making progress towards being more fruitful, do you? (laughs) In this, it's important for us to note the third point here, that no branch can bear fruit by itself. I think this makes sense to us, those of you who are gardeners especially. Have you ever seen a stick produce any kind of fruit? Sticks never are fruitful. Branches, however, sticks, if you will, that are connected to the life source, bear fruit. Branches need to draw life from the vine, or they are just sticks. Verse 4 says this, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then for emphasis, add verse, the, the last phrase of verse 5. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you have absolutely no hope of producing fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you are a stick. So one more fruit statement in verses 5 and 8. The gardener just doesn't expect fruit. He expects much fruit. Now, most of us have had a plant at various times in our lives where we go out to check the cherry tomato plant and like, wow, one, one cherry tomato? Where I thought I was going to get a bunch of cherry tomatoes here. See, we plant a plant. We want that plant to really produce. And what Jesus says in verse 5 is this, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In verse 8, that statement is intensified as a marker of actually, again, as we indicated before, approving that we belong to Jesus. And so the call on our lives as followers is not just fruit, but much fruit. And if you know Jesus, you should never think it's okay for you to muddle along yourself in your calling with God. The Lord expects much fruit from you increased fruit from you. Which leads us to the second half of this message. Woven into the discussion of fruit is a statement that the disciples of Christ are to abide in Christ. Look at some of those words. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Verse 5, whoever abides in me and I in him. Verse 7, if you abide in me. The word that the apostle uses here is often translated abide. But that word has also rightfully been translated remain. Disciples of Christ are in Christ and are to remain, excuse me, in Christ. So that abide in me command is followed up with the rest of John 15 with some of the fruit abiding work of Christ in our lives. Now let's pause here for a second because I know that most of us approach John 15 and we want to know, okay, what's the fruit? What's the fruit? What, what kind of fruit should I see in my life? What is remarkable about John 15 in some ways is that Jesus doesn't get so specific. Now it is possible because you have, may have read the word that you read Galatians chapter 5 and you say, oh, there's a fruit of the Spirit. And you know in Galatians 5 that it also has the fruit of the flesh. So you know that's not the fruit of the Spirit. And then maybe your mind goes to other lists. But 
in the Scripture. But here in, in John 15, really there's no long lists of here's the 37 things or the 103 things that the kind of fruit that God expects from your life if you are abiding in Christ. As a summary statement, we might go to what the apostle said in 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He says, whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So a general statement comes at us about us being like Christ. And I think that that's where John 15 takes us. It takes us to, to kind of a foundational statement into which the rest of our understanding of what we are to be, do as disciples explodes into our lives and call us as, calls us in so many di- directions. But John 15, what does it mean to abide in Christ in John 15? Well, let's key in on three specific fruit statements. First, Disciples of Christ abide in the words of Christ. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, in other words, you keep my words. Now this won't surprise most of us here this morning. We know that if we know Christ, we must listen to the words of Christ. It makes no sense to say that we are in Christ if we don't know His words or are refusing to keep His words. The life of the vine coming at us <coughs> drives us to who He is and what He is and what He said. You see that, don't you, in Scripture? The wonder of this kind of God-ordained relationship is that our keeping of the words of the vine will be proved out in many ways, but here, specifically, in the way we pray. That is what the rest of verse 7 tells us. Read, read verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Abide in my words, and then ask. I think most of us want our prayers answered, do we not? In this verse, in the same statement back in John 14 and will be made in John 16 next week, invites and ensures us that when we are abiding in Christ and abiding in his words, that we will pray consistent with that life flowing relationship. Please know this. Sticks do not have the ears of God. Sticks do not pray in line with the heart of God. So sticks do not know answered prayer. Simply put, if your prayers are inconsistent with the, with, with the words of God, you are not going to have answered prayer. So which leads us to the second statement here, that the disciples of Christ abide in the love of Christ. Look at verses 9 to 17. Jesus tells, us, tells his disciples... That as they live for Jesus in the now, in their new, new reality after the departure of Christ, that they're supposed to live as those who love the vine dresser, love like the vine dresser in the vine. Of course that is true. We are to love God. That is a statement here. But the, the macro, the huge emphasis here in John 15 is that we are to love others. So three times in quick succession in verses 9 and 10, Jesus says, Twice, abide in my love. And once he says, abide in his love, speaking of his father. 
And notice again that the connection is, that uh, the expectation of love is directly connected to his words, to his commandments. Don't miss that ever, please. So often in our world today, and even in churches, people misunderstand the command to abide in the Lord's love, thinking that they can define what that love looks like. But the word of God is clear that to abide in the love of God is to abide in his word. So our actions and our words of love need to be truly in line with the heart and the commands of God. To abide in his love is to abide in him. No branch can refuse the vine and produce its own kind of fruit. That doesn't work in your garden and it doesn't work in our relationship with the Lord. If you plant an apple tree in your backyard, don't stand at the foot of that apple tree and demand that it make oranges, that produce oranges. Apples trees produce apples, not oranges. And so in the same way, those of us who love Jesus, when we abide in Christ, we will abide in his words and we will abide in his kind of love. Which leads us to a, another ramification of this discussion. I like verse 11. Jesus goes on to say, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So right in the middle of this very intensive and repeated statement about how we are who are abiding in Christ will abide in his love, Jesus talks about joy. How's your joy today? You should know that joy in life is indeed a fruit of an intimate relationship with the Lord that extends directly to relationship with others because you are in relationship with the Lord. Joy in our lives does come from a deep in Christ, abiding in Christ relationship. Now remember in this, Jesus is preparing his disciples for their new and glorious, but very difficult now. And part of what he's saying is that the abiding in Christ will be a difficult journey. Which leads us to verses 12 to 17. Jesus is mere hours from his crucifixion and death. It is here that he tells his disciples that as he will love them to the point of death, so they are to love to the point of death. That's the standard of love. And part of the evidence is is part of the evidence that they are indeed abiding in love. No one who is living for themselves can love, Christ, love as Christ loved. No one who is living for themselves will be willing to give up their lives for others, even to some degree a smidgen to a degree. Even one's friends. Did you hear that word, friend? Most people in our world, even in the church, struggle with the word friend. But the richness of the intimacy of the idea of friends in verses 13 to 15 set the bar of friendship at a heavenly level. Abiding in Christ kind of love will result in abiding in Christ kind of friendship with other branches. Verses 16 and 17 could be uh, seen as a summary statement of that kind of love. And so we can take verses 16 and 17 and allow it to drive us back to what we've already heard and forward to what we are now about to hear about the difficult now starting with the very strong statement about hate 
in verses 18 to 25. And I admit that I could have easily taken verses 18 to 25 and built them into the message in a different way. But I think that this works, that this is an indication of this abiding in Christ relationship. And so the third statement in this section is this. Disciples do not abide in the world. Let me tell you, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have a huge problem. Do you know what that problem is? You are living in the world, but you're not to be part of the world. You are to abide in Christ. You are not to abide in the world. So in verses 18 to 25, Jesus comes at these vulnerable men just hours before his death to burst their dreamy, world-centric, messianic balloons. It's not hard for us to hear, uh, see when we read the Gospels that the disciples really believed that the world was going to be a really good place for them because they were connected to Jesus. They were waiting for Jesus to declare His messianic throne. But we know that in a few hours those disciples would watch Jesus die on the cross. And so here at the end of John 15, Jesus warns His disciples that the new and glorious now relationship would be difficult, including that it would include hatred by the world. Don't forget, Jesus just had this extensive conversation about love. And now He turns and talks about being hated by the world. And I want to say, yikes. I don't want this. I, I, I wish this wasn't here. I think most of us, those of us who want to abide in Christ, think our lives should be simple and comfortable and secure and peace-filled and admirable. But God's answer is, well, actually, just wait a second, nope. Truly and deeply, nope. You see, the contrast here in John 15 is between those who are in Christ and those who are of the world, verse 19. That is abiding in the world. In verse 16, Jesus says very clearly to his disciples, look, I have chosen you out of the world. And in fact, in John 17, he prays for them. Do you hear his words in John 17 about this? You see, they no longer belong to the world. The fact that they are connected to the vine, that means that they're going to keep the commandments of the vine, means that they are going to be a target of hate. Now, for us, here in March 2024, if you stand for the things of God, of course people who reject the things of God will stand against you. It's not a 2024 thing or 2015 thing or any other major issue in our lives today where suddenly, oh no, Christians are being, being pushed. No, Jesus told his disciples in the first century that that would be a reality. And so I would tell you, we need to even go further in this text because there's a greater intensity here. What Jesus is warning his disciples about in verse 20 is not just hate, but hate-driven persecution. Most of us know that the disciples of Christ quickly became targets of persecution after, the, after Pentecost. That persecution 
continues right up to today. And the scripture is clear. That kind of persecution is not going away. It will be there until the return of the Lord. And so, while you and I might love the idea of abiding in Christ, we should know that living in this now, even though we are connected to the vine, will not be easy. Because if we stand with Christ, the world, world will hate us. I'm so grateful for the way John 15 ends with another reminder of the Holy Spirit. We heard that back in John 14, 15 to 18. We'll hear ne- more next week in John 16. But now, <laughs> right now, after Jesus promised that hate would come our way, Jesus t- says this, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Underline three huge statements from these verses. First, to abide in Christ is to abide in the Father and yes, to abide in the Holy Spirit. We said this a little bit last week, but don't think that you can abide in Christ and you're not abiding in the Father and you're not abiding in the Spirit of God. And so we need to understand that this is about our relationship with the Lord and we need the coming of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, if we abide in the Holy Spirit, we can be confident that he will bear witness about Jesus in our lives. We heard that in John 14. Jesus says, look, I'm going to be with you as disciples through the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26, will teach you all things. And John 14, 26 also says, he will remind them of what Jesus said. So not only will the Holy Spirit come, but he will bear witness about Jesus. But thirdly, not only will he bear witness about Jesus, he will lead us to bear witness about Jesus. And right here, you and I should be thinking of a passage like Matthew 28, 18 to 20, the Great Commission. And you and I should be thinking about what happened at Pentecost with the proclamation of the gospel. Because we've been called to obey John 15, 27 and follow the Holy Spirit as he bears witness of Jesus through us. What an incredible statement of what it means to abide in Christ. Now, let me ask you as we prepare to end our service today. Does John 15 speak to you about how you see a relationship with the Lord? Let me ask the question this way. We're glad that you are in church today. That's really cool. Or joining us online. But are you in Christ today? You're in church today. In church. But are you in Christ? Are you abiding in Christ? Are are you connected to the vine? Do you have life flowing in your spiritual veins? You see, the Lord wants you to live with Him. And He wants to live, you wants to live with you. And I would tell you that that's part of the beauty of this passage. And I would encourage you to make sure you have that on your heart as we sing and pray at the end of our worship service here today. What we're going to do is sing the song Abide. 
And in the middle of the song, that's when we're going to have our time of reflective prayer. And so we're going to throw some words from uh, John 15 on the screen, which you can use to pray, to meditate on in those moments of, uh, of interlude. And then we will move forward with the rest of the song. Please pray with me. Lord, hear our prayers. Grateful for who you are and what you are. We know that this calling to live before you in this way is uh, mysterious and wonderful. Thank you for calling us to that intimacy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.